Hi, it's Jay Mueller from Bad Producer Productions. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's one of seven we currently produce. They include The Garrett, Team Effort, Childproof by Tony Martin and Geraldine Quinn, Game Changers with Craig Bruce, In the Pocket NFL, The Greatest Season That Was 93, and our newest podcast, The Final Word Cricket Podcast with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. I don't know which of those you're about to listen to, but whichever one it is, I hope you enjoy it, and I'm grateful for your time and enthusiasm. Thank you. All of our podcasts are supported by the generous team at A.V. Jennings. For more than 85 years, A.V. Jennings has created communities for people just like you. A.V. Jennings communities are designed for the way people want to live today. To find out more, visit avjennings.com.au. A.V. Jennings, your community developer. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting our sponsor, A.V. Jennings. Well, hello there. My name's Craig Bruce, and thanks for listening to another season of Game Changers Radio. Season four features some of the biggest names in Australian radio, Tim Blackwell, Wendy Harmer, Jamie Dunn, Ash Bradnam, Andy Lee, and in just a couple of seconds from now, a woman who has just dominated Brisbane radio for the last decade, Robin Bailey. You can find all of our previous chats for the best in radio today at radiogamechangers.com.au. This season, we welcome Radio Monitor as our Game Changers partner, which is just awesome to have them on board. Radio Monitor is dedicated to helping you succeed in radio. If you're a music director or assistant content director, if you're a content director, if you're an announcer, you should have Radio Monitor on your computer now. It's amazing. Radiomonitor.com. This is the industry standard for music monitoring across the UK and Europe. I use it all the time. So there's stations I help out in Canada and New Zealand and here in Australia, and Radio Monitor is absolutely perfect for the sort of work that I do, and it can certainly help you as well. Radio Monitor collects airplay data from more than 170 stations across Australia. The service keeps track of commercial, community, ABC and digital stations, and they want to hear from you. So you can email them, aus at radiomonitor.com. If you mention this podcast, you're going to get a free three-month trial. So thanks again for listening to Game Changers Radio. Thank you to Radio Monitor for being on board. Let's get into Robin Bailey's interview. Game Changers. The show about the people who make the shows. Not the people behind the scenes. Not the companies. The people behind the mics. Behind the, mics. the people who put it all on the line. The people who put their personalities and lives on display every day and invite you to either love them or hate them. This week on Game Changers, Robin Bailey. I'd have to be able to feel it. I had to know that I had somewhere to go with it. I think my, most of my life in general is is lived in my heart mm-hmm. um, and I'm learning and getting better at living in my head. But I just had to be able to go, okay, if I was, uh, who am I talking to and, and what would they think about this and what would they feel about it? And right. that's, how I, that's how I do it. Hi, this is Craig Bruce and welcome to Game Changers. Hey, thanks for your support and feedback on Series 4. It's been one of our strongest yet and there is still so much more to come. Today, my guest is Robin Bailey. Last year, Robin celebrated 10 years on Breakfast at 97.3, an incredible run of success. And this year, she's on another radio station, Triple M. So we're going to talk a lot about her career during this podcast. It's been over 20 years in the making. And as I talked to Robin about this during the podcast, I really think that she is getting better as each year passes. So it's all blue skies. The elephant in the room is how a number one breakfast host in the prime of her career could find herself in a situation where her contract wasn't renewed. 
Now, we addressed the elephant in this podcast. It's fair to say we put a bloody saddle on it and rode it like a pony. Unfortunately, due to legal reasons, we can't actually play that part of the discussion. Yeah, bummer, but it's just the way it is. What I will say is this. As you might know, I've been in the eye of a Category 5 shitstorm like this before when Kyle and Jack left two days, three or four years ago. That wasn't my call, by the way, but I was there to clean up the mess. The thing is, there are two sides to every story. Robin is incredibly disappointed that she's not at 97.3, and I'm sure that Duncan Campbell would be just as disappointed in the fact that they couldn't get a deal done. So who's right, who's wrong? The audience will decide. In the same way that the audience prosecuted the case for Kyle and Jack leaving today, that was a mistake. It was a huge mistake. Will Robin leaving 97.3 have the same impact? Well, only time will tell. Either way, she's had a brilliant career uh, and I'm really excited to be sharing her story with you. So let's do this. Another radio game changer, Robin Bailey. Robin, welcome to Game Changers. Thanks. So here we are in the studios of Triple M Brisbane and six months ago you were celebrating your 10th year at 97.3 as a number one breakfast host. Has your head stopped spinning yet? It's really odd though, you know. I said to Ruth, our producer at 97 at the time, I said to her and she'd only just come back from maternity leave and she's a really good friend of mine. I said, this feels like my swan song. <laughs> And and she was like, oh, you know, and I mean, everyone knew I was up for contract negotiations. She was like, no, it'll be right. It'll be right. And I just, as we were playing back those 10 years, I thought there's nothing actually left that I feel I'm so have to do, mm. like really compelled to do. That's so interesting that you would say that. Yeah. Because outside looking in, I saw it as, and we're going to get to all of that, the murky, messiness. And I'm not here to pot anyone or I'm no, just no, interested no. because it, it was for us uh, as an outsider looking at it, it made no sense. And, and maybe there, there is some sense we can make of it as we go along. But from, as, a, as an outsider looking at it, I'm thinking, wow, there's 10 years down and still the best ahead. And, and one of the themes of your career, it, from my perspective, would be it seems you get better every year. I mean, you've really grown wow, into... Thanks. Well, I, I don't think... <laughs> yeah, I, I think your best is still ahead of you. So it's interesting that you would have that view that... Um, but in that format, in with that, that format, structure. Right, okay. And, you know, I think that what I would say about those past 10 years, was, it was a very strong structure mm-hmm. and a very strong format mm. that has worked. Mm. And I think that that's quite obvious now as I've moved out of there, that they have slotted someone in. I mean, the promo photos are almost like take one out, put one in, <laughs> nothing to see people, nothing to see. And I'm not, that's nothing personal. It's just the image itself. So, yeah, I mean, I think within that format and structure, I felt like we'd done a huge amount. And, you know, my my 10 years there was just so dramatic Mm. on on so many levels that, you know, maybe it was time, you know, and I've grown as a human too. So, you know, I can say that in hindsight at the time I wasn't thinking. You can never think of those things when they're (laughs) happening, can you? So let's go right back to the start because we've got a lot to cover. So uh, year nine, Concord High School, you discovered. Oh my God, look at you. Um, Yeah, I was, yes, um, year nine, I did a radio play as a unit. um, What's a radio play? Well, exactly. I've still got a copy of it. It's hilarious. (laughs) Hide the tape, Robin. Oh, it's so bad. I don't want anyone to hear that. Um, It was just a unit within a term that they said you want to 
to do media, do radio. We did the com- local uh, local commercials, um, sorry, community station, mm-hmm. and I just loved it. And you got to be understand that I come from a bit of a media family. Yeah. So my Your dad mom was in afters. Was she a researcher at afters? Yep, she was head of research at um, afters. She was also um, professor of media studies up here at Griffith. Right. That's in um, she was on the Broadcasting Australian Bro- Broadcasting Tribunal. Mm-hmm. So big. History of family. My dad, he died when I was young, but he was head of the film unit at Sydney Uni. Okay. So I kind of, there was a lot of media around. Yeah, sure. And I didn't, I wanted to be a vet. That didn't work out. Wasn't smart enough, actually. <laughs> That's the truth of it. Um, I, I was never going to get those grades. So right. I thought, hmm, what else can I do? I can talk. Yeah. And I did. And did your did your mum have any advice for you as you, you started out? Did she have any sort of thoughts on, on you know, uh, how to have a long career in radio? Or did she no. give you any thoughts on the way through? But no, not really. Mum was just like, you've got you've got to do what your heart tells you. Um, she was, you know, she was a single mum and, um, and she'd had a really hard time. She, she'd done a lot of the big inquiries like the bond inquiry. Um, so she had been up against some pretty big people. She'd been up against Rupert Murdoch when Malcolm Turnbull was his, uh, lawyer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, was up against big personalities and she always just used to say, don't lose yourself and, and hold your ground and hold your power. Good advice. Yeah. Who were your radio heroes back then? Who were you listening to on the air? Oh, wow. Um, to, to SM and to UA in Sydney. I grew mm-hmm. up in Sydney. Charlie Fox. Yep. <laughs> um, and then as I kind of got into it, you know, Wendy Harmer was by far the first female who wasn't the laugh track. Yeah. There, there's a there's a pre-Wendy Harmer era in FM and then a post, isn't there? Yeah. You know, really Definitely. everything followed from... She's on this series and uh, just an extraordinary lady. I'd never met her because I was sort of younger, only just sort of starting out in, in programming when um, she was at her, you know, at the top of her game. But um, yeah, just an extraordinary career, paved the way. Yeah. And she's also like a lot of people have an opinion about Wendy, a lot. And, you know, I've certainly worked with some of those people mm. and it wasn't necessarily great, mm-hmm. but I always understood, particularly in the start of my career, how tough it was for women mm-hmm. in the business. And I, you know, I never dealt with her. I don't even actually think I've ever met her. So it's not a personal thing, but I can, I just, I used to go, yep, I know why you have to be bigger, stronger, tougher, harder. Yeah. yeah. I really do. Mm. Tell me about two W-E-B oh in Burke. <laughs> what the it. hell? That's a huge move. Do you know what though? How, how big is Burke? What? What are we talking? Um, three and a half thousand people when I was there, but it, we've got up to fine. But here's the thing you wouldn't have known about 2WEB. They, are the, they covered the biggest area of any community station. They right. went to South Australia, New South Wales and Queensland. Because, you know, Gundawindi and, you know, Brorana and, you know, right in down into um, the Hunter, uh, the uh, Barossa area, mm-hmm. like they were massive. And, and you talk to the farmers. And it was a great training ground. I, I actually started when I left high school. I, I got into ANU to do journalism. Right. But at that stage, you could choose between having a degree and getting a cadetship. And I got a cadetship and I got it in Burke. <laughs> So I learned, you yeah, know. Yeah, no choice. No, you well, I, you know, I did the funeral announcements. I read the news. I had the rural hour uh, at lunchtime talking to the farmers on tractors. It was great, great, great training. Ground. How long did you last? How long were you there for? Uh, I, just over a year. Is that right? It was great. 
I love Burke. Where did you live? Did you have a family that billeted you out, or what did you? No, no. I was twenty. I lived in a flat um, across above a series of shops across the road from the police station. So I figured if there was any problems, I'd just have to holler, which would happen (laughs) at times. Um, Yeah, because I'd used to get up and turn the station on, so you'd be the only people on the streets. But everyone knows you, so it was all right. We must have just missed each other. I think you went back to Sydney and then you landed at Fox in Melbourne. Now I was there in ninety two, ninety three. I was there a couple of times, but ninety two, ninety three, and I think we must have just missed each other because you were at with uh, Grubby and Dee Dee. I was as an assistant producer. Assistant producer, right, okay. And, and way back then in the Osterio days, I mean, this is how, I, and I do really fondly remember it, you know, you were kind of touted as someone who could have a real longevity in radio yeah. and you were the, you, and I, I was certainly, I was lucky enough to be one of those and Greg Smith and Paul Thompson deemed that that, you know, was the channel that I could go down. And so then it was a matter of either sending me to Canberra, Darwin, or Hobart right. to learn my trade. And um, and I got Hobart. And so, yeah, I started on air for the first time. It was awesome. Did you ever get an air check from Greg? Yeah, yeah, often. He, they would both come down. I mean, not all the time, yeah. but they'd come down to Tassie and, and chat in, come for a day and, and see all these people that they were investing in, mm. you know, and as well as doing a whole lots of other things. But, you know, and, and they'd have a chat and see how you were going and, you know. Yeah. My first air check with Greg Smith, I was um, at Port Augusta. Uh, so I would have been 18 and uh, so did the three-hour trek back to – because Adelaide's my hometown. Came back with a cassette and uh, Greg gave me half an hour, put the cassette in, played the first break, stopped the tape and said, not bad, Craig, but I think you've got a speech impediment. Oh, going, great. Really? I don't think I've got a speech impediment. But anyway, shit, I've got a speech impediment. And then I later learned afterwards that he would say that to lots of young announcers just to see whether they're made of the right stuff. <laughs> just, oh, to see whether you just keep going. And you know what? I went and got acting training. I went and got vo- oh vocal lessons. I did the whole thing. I thought, shit, if I've got a speech, I better get my acting You're hilarious, though, because I will say this to you. As soon as I said his name, you crossed your arms. Yeah, Greg's – well, no, I like – I mean, Greg's amazing and Paul is as well but they were and it was an incredible company it was a radio company wasn't it it was just extraordinary in terms of um you know their focus on the craft of radio and they they bred radio beasts like me Mm. you know and i think that the industry has changed so much since then in terms of just and what scares me about radio is that we kind of eat ourselves a bit Mm -hmm. because we're not or we haven't up until now, but certainly coming back to Australia, which of course is now SCA, I'm seeing that they do really invest in moving people around. Mm. And that's fantastic because you've got to just keep, we've got to have these people or else we will be relying on bachelorette rejects to try and learn the craft. Mm. And there's a skill in this, you know. So you started learning the breakfast craft in Hobart. Who are you working with in Hobart? Uh, oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, DK, his name was, and Chizza was a um, – oh, I haven't said those names. Sounds like a made-up show name. I haven't said those names for 20 years. <laughs> Do you remember your first shift, your first brekkie oh, shift? Oh, yeah. I was doing the news. I was, um, you know, I was the kind of news chick girl. Right, um, yeah. In and out. Yeah. And, you know, I met, I met one of the sales reps there and I ended up marrying him. Right. It's you know I have really personal kind of you know radio things that go through. We didn't last. It was such a stupid thing to do. Oh my god! And Lloyd is now a great mate of mine and works on the sunny coast. And you know he was one of my biggest advocates coming here, just saying you're going to nail it. You know he's yep. a rock thin Lizzie head from way back. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so I, I remember that first shift. I remember Tassie. And again, it was a bigger market than Burke, obviously, mm. but it was still that small town. You were still very much accountable. Even though I didn't know every single person in Hobart like I did in Burke, yep. I felt that I had to personally talk to these people. Mm. And I think that that's really moulded That's informed term. your career, hasn't it? Oh, very much so. Hobart became Adelaide. Adelaide, yes. And Adelaide was very quick because I went to KAFM and then it got bought out right. and, and then everyone went. Mm-hmm. In fact, we, we all got sacked and stood in front of a judge, all went for wrongful dismissal. And the judge <laughs> said, I have seen so many people from your company in the last three weeks than I have from the entire radio industry over the last 20 years. So did you win or lose the yeah, case? Yeah, we all won. <laughs> wow. We all won because he just went, I'm not even going to hear it. It's ridiculous. I already know this story. You know, you've got to pay them out maximum, which was wasn't very much, like it was three right. months or whatever. But it was, you know, I thought, oh, my God, I'm never going to work for them again. And yeah, uh, yeah. So how did the um, – when and how did the nine-year stint at B105 start? Okay, so then um, I – after the whole Adelaide debacle, I left radio for a little while and I worked at the Old Lion, which is a wonderful institutional oh, pub course, yeah. in Adelaide. And um, – then met uh, my next husband, who was uh, head of Suntory, Tony, and he came up to Brisbane. And after a little while, I thought, I've got to get back in radio. Rob Logan was um, PD up at B105, mm-hmm. as it was then. And, and he and I'd worked together and he said, why don't you come up? And I came up as a producer and it was Jamie Skippy and Donna. And after about six months, they decided, and this, God, this would never happen now. They decided, they, they pulled me into an office and said, we're going to make some changes and we're going to um, put you in. And then we're, so tomorrow morning after the show, we did an outside broadcast. You and Jamie and Skippy are not to come back. We're going to talk to Donna and then it's just all going to be announced. So then I was put on with them. Wow. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I see Donna around the traps are awful. God, we still don't do sackings well in this business. I'll just say that out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and then I joined them. Did you get an inkling that that was coming or no. did you, were the guys using you on the air or? Had no, sort of, not really. No, no. I, I think what it came down to was that I had quite a good relationship with them. Yep. Um, and not that Donna didn't, I have, you know, it, that was all fine, but I think they, I, I don't even know actually. And you look, to be honest, in that start of that, I was very much the laugh track. Right. You know, I was, it was the quintessential anchor, comedian, chick. Yep. You know, and that's why I say Wendy Harmer was such a big deal because she just became... Owned it. Yeah, and we certainly didn't. So your production team at 97.3 have talked about how you were always focused on getting everything right, getting the detail right. They, they talked about how you'd rewrite teasers to get the wording right. Did you learn that from Jamie? Jamie was a stickler for detail and, and getting the specifics of radio structure right. Um, I but See, it's funny because Jamie didn't write stuff down particularly. He'd, he'd scribble notes, mm. but he wouldn't like write huge amounts. But I guess what I learned from both Skippy and Jamie is Skip was always about local, like really be local, really connect that way. And Jamie was all about just talking to the real man. Mm-hmm. And his storytelling was some of the best I've ever heard yeah. and will continue to. Mm. And, and just how he crafted what he did. So I think I realized then that the power of words and how you can influence and how you can emote and how you can get reactions from people could be in the phrasing, the tonality of it, how you felt about it. And I would say that I learned that from both of them. You haven't heard Wendy's podcast, obviously, yet, but that's virtually word for word what she has said about, um, uh, you know, we talked about what's, give me some specifics around, 
you know, a successful career on radio and at the heart of it, words matter. They really matter and they still do. And I think it's interesting now as we hurtle on into this 21st century where there's so much competition, Mm. social media and stuff. Mm. The reason why radio is probably the least impacted is because hearing someone and connecting with that is an incredibly personal thing. Mm. So I was watching the launch video of the 97.3 Brecky oh Show. Um, it's on fringe. YouTube. Yeah, well, there, there's you and Terry and Bob. He, here's the thing. You're front and centre, and it felt like it was a real statement of intent. There, there was nothing you necessarily said inside the video, but there you were, and it just felt like you, you were saying to me, this is, this is not going to be my show, but I'm going to, I'm going to play a real significant role here. Is that what you were thinking at oh the time? Oh, my God. What a, what a debacle in some ways that was, and I'll tell you why. In hindsight, now I can see it, and it'd be so interesting to know what Tez and Bob would have said. But Bob had come as from as a, a content director from KQ, mm-hmm. right? So he'd come as the boss guy and had been moved into '97. And I have no idea what he thought about that. He might have been stoked, but he also came from a management position. Right. Terry was the incumbent, and I was the chick. And I can only speak for me, but I have a feeling that the three of us were told three entirely different things. <laughs> It took, I reckon, at least two years. And and I think I made massive mistakes in that time about, you know, hearing my mother sitting on my shoulder telling me, you know, to, to be what you think you need to be and to be... And, and what I didn't take into account, and it has certainly helped me now moving into this role, is that you've got to work with the personalities of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that was a fatal mistake I made in that show. Mm. We were all... It was ego. Mm. There was so much kind of argy-bargy. Maybe just from me, you know, as I said, I haven't asked the guys, but it just didn't work for so, a long time. So how did you how did you turn that around? Pulled my head in. Right. <laughs> did you work that out yourself or did you have a team session or did you kind of oh, just come to a conclusion? How did you? I, it just wasn't feeling right. Right. And, and I don't, you know, my main mantra and issue about going to work is I want to have a good time mm. and particularly the older I get, you mm. know, and I've had enough crap going on the back, back end of my life yep. to not want to be in this space and love it. Mm. And I just thought, well, the way I have been, I am doing it or have been doing it is not working. Right. So what do I want to do differently? And I just think, you know, we've all got fragile egos, Ross, we wouldn't do this. Mm. You know, at some point we need to have people tell us how good we are. Yep. And I think I just started to respect the space of the other two and give them the credit that was deserved for being in that space. And and I think over time there was and there was a change of producers. I think that made a dramatic difference. The producer either holds the show together or can tear it apart. Yep. And we had a couple that were quite subversive in mm-hmm. that mix and that changed. And I think they're just, they're, they're, we just got this mojo of respect. And, and also the company changed managements. And I remember in the beginning that they were very, um, you know, they were okay to sit at number five and I never have been. And not that winning is the only thing, but I think you have to aim to be the best. You have to aim to have the most listeners. Mm. And they were kind of lackadaisical about that. Mm. And then as time went on, they went, no, you know, they spent money on out, you know, outdoor and advertising Mm. and they started to do more deals. And I think it just, the ship turned and we turned with it. Hard one for you to answer. Did you see yourself as the heart of the show or the star of the show? No, I'm never the star. I can't stand that. Please don't ever say, I just... 
If you will never hear the words "Don't you know who I am?" come out of my mouth. I <laughs> Shannon Noll star. I just yeah. <laughs> I, that no, there's no star. Jesus, it's an ensemble, and, and you know what? Everyone plays a really important role. Mm. If if someone is more identified, then that's just the gig. It's. I I proudly say that I was that I hope I was the heart of the show. Mm-hmm. You know that that's what I wanted to be. And we've still got a lot of ground to cover with Robin Bailey. You can subscribe to Game Changers Radio at iTunes or at RadioGameChangers.com. This is episode three of season four, featuring Tim Blackwell, Ash Bradnam, Jamie Dunn, Wendy Harmer, and coming soon, Andy Lee. And if you're new to Radio Game Changers and you want to hear some fantastic stories from some of the biggest names in the industry, our previous seasons include conversations with Marty Sheargold, Amanda Keller, Hamish Blake, Tony Martin, Eddie Maguire, and this Game Changer. It's that murky border where business and creative meet, and you've got to be really strong at that point, or you'll get rolled. And if you get rolled, your show is going to be shit. It'll be, you'll be hitting everything right, and it'll be sounding right, and you'll be doing the ads, and you'll be doing everything properly, but you won't be connecting. You'll be keeping sales department happy and you won't be connecting with your audience. So you've got to really fight and find a number of ways to get the outcome that you want. And it's a constant battle. That is Mick Malloy. And if you haven't heard that episode, you've got to go and check it out. It's in season one of Game Changers Radio. Now, back to Robin Bailey. So nine years with B105, 10 years with 97.3. I know, you'd think I'd get a real job by now. (laughs) Which was the better show? Ooh, okay. Um, I think it evolved. I think I don't think the Jamie Skippy Robin show, the B one hundred and five Morning Crew, could it didn't would survive now. Mm. You know, that was of that time, mm. and it was brilliant. And Agro and the characters, and Lord Mayor Jim, and you know Ian Calder as one of the comedy writers. You know, there was whole teams of yes. comedy writers. That doesn't happen now. Mm. So I think they were, but they were the best of their time. You know, without a doubt in Brisbane, the B105 Morning Crew owned it. And, you know, we had a 28 share at some point. Okay, yes, you can say there weren't as many stations, but... you still got to get the numbers. Yeah, yeah 28 <laughs> is... Yeah, you, you think of those numbers now and just can't shake your head and just can't imagine it, can you? But I think I think for me personally, 97 was, you know, I, I you know, I connected and, and had, you know, that was a lot of really me on the radio. Mm. So one of the... Um, key priorities for radio executives is to work out how to keep the band together. So when you've got a great show, how do you keep it together? And um, you know, the, the the key equation I think with breakfast and success on on breakfast radio is time and really you know consistently mm. good radio over a long period of time. So you talked about having a bumpy start with Terry and Bob, and and I think we've covered it a little. But but tell me how do you how do you stay together for ten years and remain functional? And- <laughs> Don't spend any time together outside of work. Um, we weren't. We didn't. And I didn't. You know, I'm I'm friends now. I'm Facebook friends with Skippy, and I um, and I speak to. Jamie occasionally I certainly saw him in the building over the Christmas time and you know gave him a big hug and he gave me a rocking horse I collect rocking horses he, he left oh. me a rocking horse on my first day so yeah. but you don't socialize and you have an outside life that is very um independent and I certainly know my 40th I had my 40th when I was at 97 and I've, I you know I invited him of course I do I used to say I'd go to bed with Tony and wake up with Terry and Bob <laughs> because you spend so much time yeah and you share things in a moment that's weird that's just in this room mm. when you're doing it yeah um and I invited them to my 40th and Terry didn't come and I don't I had no problem with that mm. but I think you know, there was a line blurred for him yep. that just he didn't want to do. So mm. Bob did run into a horse at 3am, but that's a whole other story. 
Big night. It was a well great done, night. Yeah, well done, Bobby. So one of your strengths as a performer, we've kind of touched on it as well, is is getting to the emotional heart of an idea. Ruth DeGlass, who I'd spent some time with um, in preparing for this, and by the way, a really impressive um, she's young amazing. lady. How she's not working, I've got no idea, but <laughs> that's a whole other point. Robin needs to feel it out, is what she would say to me. So what does that look like? What do you mean by it? What does she mean by that? That was very funny, because what we'd do is when we'd have plannings or we'd be doing story arc plannings or, you know, with whatever I'd have to get I'd have to be able to feel it I had to know that I had somewhere to go with it and and you know criticism or not I think my most of my life in general is is lived in my heart Mm -hmm. um and I'm learning and getting better at living in my head so it was everyone else's kind of gig to and Terry would see the comedic side of it um, and, you know, the, the producers like Ruth and Alan, who's still their produce, assistant producer there now, would then logistify it, if yep. that's a word. Um, but I just had to be able to go, okay, if I was uh, – who am I talking to and, and what would they think about this and what would they feel about it? And right. that's, how I'd, that's how I'd do it. Good, because that's really – that's specific instructional for our audience because feeling something, it's okay, well, what, what do I do with that if I'm learning how to do radio? But you've explained that really well. Ruth talked about a natural curiosity that you that you have as well. Do you think you can cultivate that sort of skill or is that just something that, that, is, that um, is a I, part of who you are? Stop talking about yourself. <laughs> Seriously. You know, and, and I think it's – I have three sons, right, and they're 12, 14 and 16 and I'm a single mum. So I'm having to – try very hard to give them the male structure that they need within their lives because their, their dad's not here yep. and but I'm really intent of giving them a heart too mm. so uh, and boys don't want a huge amount of words uh, you know after my husband died my middle son said to me mum you've got to go back to work and I said why and he said because you're using too many words on us <laughs> So, you know, I get it. People don't necessarily want to be talked at. Mm-hmm. What they want to do is talk about themselves. Mm. And I think that is an innate human thing. Mm. Some blokes aren't great at it, mm. and I will say that um, in, in my dealings, but listen, mm. stop. It's not about you. And you'll get tidbits that become interesting, and then you keep that path going. The other point that Ruth made was this idea of stepping the show out of its comfort zone. So whenever you felt like the show was getting comfortable with itself, you would bring them in and go, okay, let's see if we can pull this thing apart and make it interesting. Interesting for ourselves, I guess, as, as much for the audience. So you were really clear on, on that as being something that, that needed to happen on a regular basis? I think when a show's been together for so long, yeah. you can become predictable. Yeah. And and I think in a town like Brisbane, particularly, where there's not a huge... It's not like Sydney, where there's lots of things happening all the time around you mm. um, that can kind of push it up. So um, I just wanted to keep pushing us. I wanted to... And I think the thing, um, certainly in that environment was about having people's stories because mm. they're far more interesting than we are. Yep. I mean, you know, after a certain time and probably about the five or six year mark, they've heard all of our stuff. And, it, yeah, you've got to push it out there. Because it's interesting, a lot of shows, you know, one of the first things you need to work out when, you, when you're in a show is where, where are we at in our cycle? You know, are we in growth or are we at the top of our game? And for heritage shows, you know, part of that idea of stepping out of your comfort zone is just for your own peace of mind and for your own sanity, to be honest, so that you can come in and, and, and do something a little different to kind of challenge yourself. But Lots ha- of shows can't do that, though. Look at Hamish and Andy. Yeah. They're constantly doing that. Mm. And and the thing is, too, I think you've got to look at what 
you know, those two I find fascinating because they just want to entertain each other. Mm. But that's genius. Yeah. And that's how they've built their entire gig. Yeah. Um, and you never quite know what they're going to entertain themselves with next. So I find that really fascinating. But I think the really good shows have got to constantly keep questioning themselves. Yeah. It's, it's not, we've got to work. Mm. You know, it's really easy to come in here and sit on your butt and go through the paper or go through whatever or do your socials and just pull bits that can make a show. But really, what, what do you want to do? Don't you want to be excited? Mm. Like there's that adrenaline rush with comes with going, I have no idea this is going to end. Yep. Yeah. You know? So it's it's really interesting that for almost ten years you completely focused on connecting in the most authentic and real, natural way with your audience, you know, to the point where you had this incredible bond with them. And then when you needed them most, they were there for you, which mm. is, you know, September two thousand and fifteen. I watched your first break on the air after having been off for five weeks. I had and I, two things struck me. You know, one was how how is she doing this? I mean, where are you finding the strength? And the second point was you made a comment through the piece. I think it went for four or five minutes. And you said, you know me, talking to the audience. Yeah. You know me. I want this to be fun. And at, at that point, it struck me, okay, that there's this absolute connection here that you had with the audience. I never thought this would be part of my journey. But after five weeks of feeling completely overwhelmed and unsure, it is great to be back doing something I feel I know how to do. Because one thing I've learnt is that life really does go on. And maybe I'm just believing a bit of our own publicity, Tez, when I say that right now I choose and will fight for my children and I to be happy. <laughs> Thank you. It's funny, actually, because, uh, you know, as I said with my middle son, Lewin, saying you've got to go back on air. And my children desperately needed normality. You know, like when, when their father kills himself, mm-hmm. there's huge amounts of stuff that go with that. And in the five-week mark, I mean, I look back on that video and I just see a complete deer in the headlights. Honestly, I do. And Ruth, and as I said, Ruth, my, um, my producer, she's not anymore. She will be again one day. Um, we, her and I do podcasts together, so I'm okay. I can still work with her. But she was absolutely integral in how I managed to do that because she became the fox terrier for me as as that in that five-week period, you know. They had to put on a show the next day. It was a Monday. They mm. had to put on a show the next day and no one knew. Mm. I mean, how anyone does that is beyond me, but mm. they did. And Ruth led that charge incredibly well. Mm. And Tez and Bob got on the air and did it. Mm. And then sort of lots of things sort of happened. And then, and she just said to me, you've got to just do what you always do, Rob. Talk from your heart. Yep. Like just, so I literally the night before wrote down some some notes and then I thought I'm going to read this because I was shaking like a complete crazy person yeah, yeah. and just, kind of did it. Did you pre-record it or did you no, do no, it live? No. Yep. no, we did it live because, A, I didn't know how long I was going to take, you know, and 97.3 songs weren't that long. <laughs> they don't play Stairway to Heaven and 97.3. <laughs> no, 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 three, Van Halen, eight minutes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and also I just think, you know, I'm, I'm genuine when I say you've got to be your authentic self. Mm. And if I couldn't have got through it, one of them would have stepped up. Sure. Terry would have grabbed the notes or whatever they would have done. But you can't, you can't bullshit that stuff. I mean, 
where, where has that ever happened? No. You know, and, and, I, and I went back on because I needed to. God, mm. I needed something that just said, yeah. I can do this because yeah. the rest of my world, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> So did the studio become a, a sanctuary for you for a period of time where you could, you know, you talk, you talk to lots of presenters and there can be things happening in their lives, and but the three hours that they're in the studio and the mics are there and the headphones, they can kind of forget about all of that. Yeah. Did that help through that period and at it was, all? It was really difficult to try and, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't want to, I didn't want to glorify it. Mm. So therefore bringing it up all the time was pointless. There was a lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes that they didn't know only because they didn't need to necessarily like things would set me off like Robin Williams, you know, when there were stories from him because he, he, he died before Tony, but you know, that, so just, or songs that uh, GRL, the girl who also took oh, her own yep, life. Yep. So there'd be little things that I wouldn't predict mm. that had set me off and they'd be like, right. Okay. Um, but I think the thing that was greatest about that time and space was that they just allowed me to write my own script for it. Yeah. And, you know, it was in that moment, it was great. And you, you felt it through. You, yeah, I did. I felt my way out. through. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of want to now, you know, if I, now that I'm sort of two and a half, nearly three years down the track, kind of go to them and go, don't you realise how bloody amazing that was? Yeah, no, it You was. know, I didn't take days off. I didn't, I just, I just went into, this is what I do. This is how I do it. Mm. It's important for my children to know that I'm not falling apart. Mm. So if I was going to get back on the air, they had to see that I had it together and that was the best way to show them I'm doing it. Yeah, it's gutsy shit. <laughs> well and truly. So we talked before, the show celebrated 10 years on the air last year. You know, one of the most successful breakfast shows in the country and you're in the prime of your career having cultivated this incredibly loyal audience who love you. What the hell happened? Yes, I know. It's a question everyone wants answers to, but unfortunately, here at Game Changers Radio, we can't do that right now with Robin Bailey. What we can do is provide you with this really terrific piece of musical interlude and then we'll rejoin the conversation with Robin Bailey in just a moment. So here we are at Triple M Brisbane, hmm. and this is going to be a challenge for you, isn't it? It's great, though, and I'm not going, oh, yeah, so cliched, she's on the station, <laughs> yeah, it's so great. I'll say this honestly from me. I learned how to talk really effectively to women, predominantly female audience on yep. 97. If I can do even a little bit of that to a predominantly male audience, mm. what a great broadcasting experience that will y give me. Yeah. So that's how I see it. They really want me here. They've been amazing. Mm. Like Ed and Mardo particularly have just backed me to the absolute hilt. And they, you know, as Ed comically says, most people get rejects from The Bachelorette and we get someone with 20 years experience. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, look, I'm not kidding. It's, it's a big gig. So all of those instinctive decision-making skills that worked so well for you at 97.3, you didn't really, it was a straight line from heart to listener, essentially. You didn't, yeah. really didn't need to think about that a lot. Are you having to not second guess yourself, but what, what, what does the planning process look for you as an individual coming into the show that might be different to what you did at 97? So everything I did, I threw out. <laughs> <laughs> Good starting point. No, no, seriously. Yeah, no, that makes it's sense. It's all gone. Yeah. Every sort of system and planning and all of that stuff is gone. Right. However, I am still the, you know, uniquely me person. Mm. And I think that, you know, let, let, let's look at the male audience, shall we? There's a lot of things that we can talk about from a female perspective sure. that doesn't jeopardise 
what they do yeah. that gives them stuff that maybe their wife thinks or their daughter thinks or their mother thinks. Mm. And if I can just be some of that, not in an overbearing way, then there's a place for me here. Yeah, and I think that I think, and I'm sure David Reimer and others have talked. I don't think you need to bring a female perspective necessarily. I think no. it's just a perspective, my you know, perspective, yeah, whatever that perspective is. Totally. So and your perspective, my perspective, and my perspective as a broadcaster, and also there's a lot of this stuff I don't know. So mm. I'm a, a curious observer. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, particularly with the sports stuff, because if you want to have a broad appeal. You've got there's a lot of people who don't know the ins and outs of the stuff that they're talking mm. about. And you know, I just think it just uh, you know, yes, I come from a place of heart and I still do here because that's who I am. Mm. But I also think I've got so much to learn. I only live with men. I live with boys. Mm. And I can't tell you the amount of times during song I'll go, "Mato, how should I do this?" And he'll go, "Right, wrong." <laughs> now, some of that will never make the air and it's not important, mm. but I'm trying to it effectively changed my communication for my kids sure. too. And Mato and Ed as well. I mean, Ed's just announced she's pregnant. Well, sorry, Tiff's pregnant. <laughs> you know, there's there's some stuff about just communicating that I'm learning daily. I know you're a huge fan of Amanda Keller, who is probably the last female star of Triple M. Obviously, she's, she's had incredible success at WS. Have you spoken to her since you've come on board? Um, I have. I've spoken to her a couple of times. She's, um, and you know. Any advice or? Oh, no, 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 no. She mostly was kind of in the throes of the contract going, what the? <laughs> yeah, okay. So there was probably advice going the other way, was She's it? going, what go is and do going it yourself on? And you haven't heard from them in four weeks. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think everyone was a bit shocked, including Amanda. <laughs> um, and I, when I go to Sydney, I try and, you know, I kind of run into her a little bit. But, um, yeah, no, not really. I mean, I think the, be- the beast has changed. Mm. And Triple M as a network haven't done a huge amount of women generally yep and so this is all a bit of a experiment that is but but the key is is these guys and I don't so what I do in the morning now is that I bring a whole pile of stuff that I'm interested in and and if they're keen then that's what we go with and if they're not then it doesn't so there's no you know at 97 I was very clear Mm. you know I was very able to kind of push those sort of things through but here I'm like yeah okay righto yeah, well, and you're five weeks in as well. You'll become yeah. more and more clear as, as you go along. So we're in this hope bubble at the minute. Um, it's the same hope bubble that Today FM was in three years ago when we lost Kyle and Jack. So we were in this hope bubble that was essentially we'd made this really courageous decision or so we thought. And then in the first survey came out, it was obviously a stupid one. Um, so what happened on that day? Tell me because, you know. While it was the worst day of my radio career, it was just, uh, you can't even imagine how. Because it was decimated. How, yeah, it was it? just, it was like, oh God, we've just totally messed this up. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty scary. What, what are the things that you'll look at in 12 months from now and go, okay, that's been a success regardless of what the number numbers look like? Because I know you're very competitive, but are there other metrics that are important for you? Okay. So um, for a whole bunch of reasons, none of which I understand, uh, at the start of this year, I had to sit out for a week mm-hmm. and everyone else started. But I think that my measure will be, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. Whether anything's impacted on the first survey Man, it's never happened before. No. They've never taken a single element out of a show, kept the show going so succinctly the way it was, except removed one person, put in another, and that person goes somewhere else and the audience to follow. Mm. So do I think it'll happen? No idea. Mm. It's a, it, No one knows. Mm. Um, but if it doesn't, what I hope is that we just slowly, 
you know, a trending up station is much better than a trending down. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, I think there's lots of really exciting things we can do here. I would hope that we're a couple of points up by the end of the year. That would be awesome. So very few announcers have generated the kind of loyal audience that you have over the last 10 years in, in Brisbane. And whatever happens moving forward at 4MMM, congratulations on 19 unbelievable years <laughs> in Brisbane. You. I'm making you feel older than you probably <laughs> no, I am want old. to feel. It's been an extraordinary career. And, you know, it's what matters with radio. It's the, it, you know, forget about the ratings for a second. You've built this incredible audience who feel like... Like they, they know you and like you and there's a connection there and I just want to say congratulations Aww. on doing that and doing yeah. it as well as you have. Well, let's see because I don't plan on leaving radio. At nearly 50, <laughs> I'm not really qualified to do anything else. Yeah, the whole vet thing is still not working right, for the me. Vet thing, yeah, no. you, if you're a, are you a pet lover? Oh, yeah, I am. No, you can't be a pet lover yeah, and a vet. Yeah, no, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I ultimately I want to end up in talk yep. when I'm, you know, past 60 and that's the only place you can go. Yep. No, but I do because there isn't any successful, really successful women in talk. Mm. There's been a lot of people that have been quite good, but real staying power. Yeah. You know, I, I plan on having another 20, 30 years in this business. So, you know, that's what I hope. I hope that other people's decisions on my life don't impact my ability to be employed. So, they won't. Know, let's see. <laughs> Good to meet you, Robin. Thank you. So there you go, Robin Bailey on Game Changers. Look, we went pretty deep with Robin there and uh, her openness and honesty is obviously what makes her so great on the radio. Remember, look, if there is help that you need and you're struggling with anything, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at CB underscore Bruce or you can send an email craig.bruce at radiogamechangers.com. Thank you so much for listening. Plenty more to come in Season 4 of Game Changers Radio and, of course, you can find all of our previous series on iTunes and at radiogamechangers.com. Season 2 featured the incredibly successful Amanda Keller. Doing daily radio, it's like a muscle. And now, if something, even something mortifying happens to me, I'm, I will almost instantly construct that into a way I can use the pain to tell the story. But that's what I meant before when I worked with Andrew. Andrew used to say to me, you're a walking anecdote. And I, it never occurred to me that I was. It never occurred to me that I had stories to tell. But he's to mine them from me. That is Amanda Keller. Her story is in Season 2 of Game Changers Radio, and we will talk to you next week. Game Changers Radio is a production of Craig Bruce Coaching and Bad Producer Productions. Subscribe at iTunes or download episodes at radiogamechangers.com.